If you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn there, we'll be taking some scripture out of the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to be looking at uh, part of chapter 16 and part of chapter 17. And, uh, you know, while you're finding it, I'll kind of give you kind of a rundown of things here in the book of Samuel. You know, the book of Samuel starts out and up to this point it's talked largely about the namesake of the book, Samuel, and then, of course, about a man by the name of Saul, King Saul. He was a man that was described as being head and shoulders taller than everyone in Israel. And just prior to this, Saul had had sinned against God. He disobeyed God's commandments and he... Uh, uh, transgressed and and you know Samuel had to tell him look God would have established your kingdom forever he said but you you've turned from God you've disobeyed him you've messed up and he said now he's given it to uh, uh, your neighbor and he's a man after God's own heart is the way that he describes him and you know a lot of times we we read about these these characters these these figures in the Bible and we see them as larger than life but you see a lot of times if they if you were to sit down and have a conversation say you take them for a cup of coffee or something like that they probably wouldn't see it like you did they would look around and say look I was trusting God Okay, that's what I was doing, you know. You see me up here in this pulpit, and you may say, well, Brother Jeremiah's got a talent or a gift for all these things, but trust me, I didn't want to use it. I, I, I ran from it. I, I turned from it. I tried to do everything except this, and God laid a call on me. And I, I tell you, though, Brother Arby, when I really began to work for the Lord was when I quit holding back on Him, when I began to trust Him. Uh, and you see, always prior to that, I, I trusted God only because I had no other choice. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that if you trust God when you have a choice, uh, you will literally change the world. Uh, now it may only be one person's world. It may be just uh, right here locally, but I tell you uh, it makes a difference when a person is a willing servant of God. And what we find here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is that uh, Samuel is lamenting that Saul has been rejected by God. Uh, and God tells him, you go and you anoint the next king. Uh, he tells him where to go. And it's to uh, Jesse and said, amongst the sons of Jesse uh, is where the next king is going to come from. Uh, uh, and, and we'll pick it up at about verse 4. Uh, uh, but you see that, that, that Samuel, in obedience to God, he goes there. He's trusting God. Uh, and he does just exactly as God has it laid out. Uh, And yet there's a character that walks onto the pages uh, that becomes great. Uh, But when we first see him, he ain't much. And I tell you, that's the way that I feel before the Most High God. I'm not much. Uh, uh, While I may have abilities and things like that, without Him, I'm nothing. Uh, I've said many times, you know, that anything that I've got, uh, I owe it all to Him. Uh, I'm a steward. I'm not an owner. Uh, I don't own anything down here in this world because when you own something, you get attached to it uh, and you don't want to turn it loose. Uh, And the Bible says that you're not to put anything before God. Uh, Your land, your home, uh, anything that you have, shouldn't come between you and God. You're just a steward over these things. There's not a thing that you have that money can't buy and death can't take away. And so Samuel comes to uh, uh, Jesse here and it says in verse 4, if you want to read along, in 1 Samuel 16, it says, And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them 
to the sacrifice. So he comes to this man Jesse's house. Uh, and if you're familiar with the Bible, you know uh, uh, that there's a lineage that goes back from Jesse uh, uh, that's later traced in the book of Matthew uh, in which that it was now that Jesse's uh, uh, mother and father were Ruth and Boaz. Uh, or I'm sorry, his father was Obed and then Obed's mother and father uh, was Ruth and Boaz. Uh, and that this was a lineage that Matthew traced down. Uh, that was the lineage of Jesus Christ. Uh, and right here now we find uh, uh, that Samuel has come. He's come to sacrifice. Uh, and he's come to seek the next king of Israel out of Jesse's sons. And he sanctified them. It's pretty important right there, you know, that a lot of times uh, when we pray uh, and we're saying, God, give me this, God, bless me that way, when's the last time you've asked for sanctification? Uh, when's the last time that you said, Lord, uh, clean me up, uh, put a right heart in me, uh, uh, God, make me better now? It's not saying uh, uh, that you're lost or anything like that, but sanctification uh, should be a daily thing. It's no different than us going back there and hitting the hand sanitizer. The hand sanctifier. But have you asked God to sanctify your heart and to sanctify it daily? And before that Samuel would anoint anybody of them, they had to be sanctified. Okay, and then it says now in verse 6, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab was the oldest. He was the biggest. He was the strongest. He was the one that you would look at and say, Now that guy should be the captain of the football team. That guy right there, now he's strong, he's fast, he's capable. And he said, Surely this is the guy. Has to be the guy. But he was looking at him only on the exterior. Only what he could see on the outside. And it says in verse 7 that God spoke to him. says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, and the Lord looketh on the heart. That Eliab might have had all the right stuff on the outside. But on the inside, he didn't have a heart for God. He didn't trust God. He didn't turn things over to God because he was too big and too strong to be able to trust the Lord. You know, God takes the broken things and that's what He wants. Never is a man more useful to God than when he's been beat to his knees. Whenever that he has looked around and he, he, his strength has failed him, his abilities have failed, and he looks around and he says, God, I'm going to trust you. And so he rejects Eliab and he rejects all of Jesse's sons that are there. And you may say, but wait a minute, Brother Jeremiah. I thought you said that David was one of Jesse's sons, and he is. But not really. Because when Samuel told Jesse to call his sons, he called everybody but David. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, being the youngest in a family, I remember. I remember growing up, you know, that we would get out the family picture albums. And mom had one, it was blue, and another one that was uh, a kind of a yellowish orangish color. Mom knows exactly the ones I'm talking about. And we would go through those, and I didn't like that blue album. Because that blue album was PJ. You know what PJ is, don't you? It's pre-Jeremiah. It didn't have any pictures of me in it. I didn't feature prominently in it. Now that yellow album... The first picture in it's me, my big old face, a grinning with one tooth, sitting in a little car seat with a blue and white striped blanket behind me. I liked that album because I featured rather prominently in it. 
I couldn't imagine a time where that I wasn't around. I talked to my brothers though years later and I said, I'm guessing you all can remember when I wasn't around. They said, well, yeah. And I said, did you look back fondly on that time? And of course, they just kind of chuckled at me when I asked them that. And my, my two oldest kids, they're similar with my youngest one. They, they can't remember when the other one wasn't around, but they can remember when she wasn't around. But see, David was far more insignificant than even my self-centered self could even imagine. They didn't even call him. Okay? If there was a group text, David didn't get it. He wasn't even in the chat. Okay? He wasn't even considered to be a member, you know, because essentially it was the longest of shots for David to be anointed the next king. It was ridiculous. It was ludicrous for him to be anointed as the next king. And you'll notice it says in verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab, made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shema. Same deal, verse 10, And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. He didn't even get called. He was out tending the sheep. And let me make this clear. This was missed by me for years. Tending the sheep was not the job you wanted to have. Do you know that the way that their culture viewed shepherds was they were lower than low? Their testimony wasn't even allowed in their courts. And David is out there on the hillside by himself. Uh, It says now in verse 12, And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with a beautiful countenance and goodly to look on. He was... A guy who didn't need to shave. He was little, not strong. He was puny. It was like comparing a sixth grader to a senior in high school. Comparing him to Eliab or any of the others. And he was insignificant. His own father didn't even hold him as significant. Not even worth calling. But he was worth sending out into the wilderness with sheep. I find that interesting. I can tell you that when my son was little, uh, I didn't send him to do man's work when he was but a boy. Uh, Now he's a grown man and he's able to do man's work, but they had David out there doing that. Uh, And he was out tending the sheep. Uh, And it says now that when uh, that David showed up, and I imagine when he got word uh, that he cut the fan on uh, and got there in very short order. Uh, And it says now in the last part of verse 12, and the Lord said, Arise! Anoint him for this is he. I believe it was like God kicked Samuel and he jumped up and right in the midst of his own father and his own brothers and the servants and everybody who looked around and thought, surely it's not David. It says that Samuel upends that horn of oil, dumps it over the top of his head and anoints him before his brothers and his father, insignificant little David. He walks onto the pages and he ain't even said a word. All he did was show up, breathing hard. You called for me, Father? And Samuel comes a running with a horn of oil. And Jesse's got this shocked look on his face. And all of his brothers are looking at him and saying, How? How can this be? He's just a little boy. But he was God's man. Because God can take that which is insignificant, that which is weak, that which is not strong as far as the world is concerned, and He can raise them up. 
He can raise you up. You may feel weak and insignificant. Let me tell you this. If you're getting up in years, don't worry. You know when Moses really started serving to God, he was 80 years old. When it was that Caleb had spied out the land of Israel uh, and he looked in the land, uh, he said, now look, uh, uh, 40 years later, he said, I'm going to go fight an uphill battle. Uh, He said, I'm as strong today uh, as I was at 40. Uh, God has given me the mountain and I'm going to go take it. If you put your trust in God, uh, when you choose to put your trust in God, significant things can happen. And you may think, you know, and if you've never read this, you may think, well... I guess David lived happily ever after after that, right? I mean, of course that's how the story goes. No. It is that we find David at the beginning of the next chapter, he's back out tending the sheep. He's not on the throne. He's, his brothers haven't really put him on their shoulders and packed him out. I believe his brothers really didn't like him a whole lot. And now there's a battle that's taking place. The armies are arrayed. And a man who is a mountain of a man walks onto the pages of a man by the name of Goliath. And he walks out every day and he points at Israel and he tells him, look, I defy you. I defy your King Saul. I defy your God. Come out and fight against me. And if you win, we'll serve you. And if I win, you'll serve us. And he does it day and night and day and night. And then Jesse has another garbage job to be accomplished and he calls David. Jesse really didn't buy into the whole kingship of David either. And he says, take your brother some lunch. Check on how they're doing. And David goes out. You see, Saul had had consumed the young there in Israel. He'd brought them to war. He'd taxed them to death. And there they are. They're out there. And they've been looking across the valley against the Philistines. And they're afraid of Goliath. And it says when David shows up, and we won't take time to read all that, but when David shows up, that's about the time that Goliath comes out. And when Goliath makes his big speech, and they've heard it day in and day out, David begins to walk from man to man. Who's going to do something about this? Ain't one of you all going to go out and stop him? And you see, he doesn't say he defies you. And David doesn't say he's defying Saul. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? He said, who will go out? And they looked around at him and his own brother told him, David, why don't you go back to your sheep and shut up? Beat it, kid. you got no business here. you just come out to see a big racket. And they tried to run him off. And David said, there's a cause. David didn't say, I'll go and do it at first. What happened was he looked around and nobody would go. It was shameful for those men that David was the one that had to do it. And so he says, I'll fight him. I'll take him down. And Saul hears word of it. And if you turn over into the the 17th chapter here, you'll notice uh, uh, what David says to Saul. Verse 32, it says in in 1 Samuel 17, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I imagine there was a chuckle would go up. You've got to be messing with me, David. Have you not seen how big that guy... Maybe you couldn't see him good from where you were at. He's a mountain of a man. They may have given him the tail of the tape and everybody knew it and it it recounts it here in the 17th chapter of how big that his sword was, how long his staff was, long as a weaver's beam and how much the head of his spear weighed, how tall he was overall. They knew the tail of the tape. They knew, hey, going out against him with the might of mankind, he'll win. David said, but Saul, I'll go out against him. 
Notice what Saul says in verse 33. It said, And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Verse 34, And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and I smote him and slew him. David had no backup out there. There was nobody else to go after the lion and the bear. David had but to trust in God. And he said, I have no other choice but to trust in God. But when it came to Goliath, he said, I have a choice and I'm going to trust in God. And I'll go out. And David goes out. And David fights against him. Now if you remember what I mentioned all the way back at the beginning when it was that, uh, that Samuel said, Jesse, call your sons. And it said he took them and sanctified them. David wasn't amongst them. He was sanctified by God Himself out there in the wilderness. God sanctified David. David was anointed before Samuel ever dumped a horn of oil over his head. And David stayed anointed and he rested comfortably in the peace of God which passes understanding. And church, if you want that peace of God which passes understanding, choose it. Don't just let it be forced on you. But say, God, make me to lie down in green pastures. Lead me beside the still waters. Restore my soul. God, I know that you have a table prepared before me in the presence of mine enemies. Uh, David, when he wrote those words, I believe he was sitting in the mouth of a cave. Uh, not yet king. Uh, king in God's eyes, but not yet in Israel. Uh, but he was trusting God and he trusted Him all throughout that. You may feel like you're insignificant. And the truth is, in the grand scheme of things, as far as men are concerned, you probably are. I'm 99.9% certain that I am. Were I to die today, if you were to see me down at the funeral home here just a few days after hence, uh, you would find that yes, there might be a significant number of people there that knew me, uh, friends and family and former students and all that, uh, uh, but history would go on and there would be nothing recorded about me. Uh, but there's a record, Brother Harvey, uh, that has my name in it, uh, written down in heaven, uh, that Lamb's Book of Life, uh, that records that I trusted upon the name uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, my Savior and my Lord. David, when he did these things, and I really don't feel the need to tell you the rest of the story, but I'll go ahead and sum it up for you. David won that fight. He went out. He pointed his finger right at Goliath. And he said, buddy, you're trusting in the wrong things. He said, you trust in your training and your physical ability. And he said, but I'm trusting in my God. The next time that bad news comes your way, you need to remember to trust God. Trust Him when you have a choice. Trust Him when you have no choice. I tell you, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Those that trust in Him, though they may be faint, they'll run. That there is no end of God's strength. You may not be strong enough, but He is. And in this day and time, we are running a race. Paul said, I run like somebody that wants to win. And I fight not as somebody shadow boxing, but as somebody that's in a knife fight in a phone booth against the devil himself, knowing that when he comes in as a flood, that the Lord raises up a standard against him. And that all you have to do, you don't have to win, you just have to not lose. That's it. That's where salvation is at. 
You see, because in this day and time, people have a wrong doctrine floating around that says, oh, it's all about your good deeds and your good works and all these things that you do. Tell that to the thief on the cross when he looked over to Jesus and he said, well, you remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, you just made it, buddy, because you trusted in me. Now, I tell you, deathbed repentance is a bad plan, but I would never rule it out. And I've recommended against it with people. I call it that Indiana Jones plan of salvation. If you've ever watched any of those movies, you know he'd slide under the door right at the last second. He'd reach back and grab his hat because it always fell off. And I tell you, that's a bad plan. I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'm saying if you're planning on that, you don't know if you even have a deathbed. You don't know if you're going to have that last moment to cry out. That last second. Trust God while you have a choice. Trust Him. And trust Him every day. Now there may be times when you have no other choice and that's fine. But trust Him when you do. Trust Him. And I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. God forbid that you would ever think that I would advise you against going to the doctor. But when you go to the doctor, pray for that doctor first. That if God wants to use him to heal you, that's fine. If God wants it to be that that will slow you down and keep your focus on him, then so be it. But surrender to the will of God. And David, he said when he fought this lion and this bear, that he trusted God. He didn't have any backup. But when he went out against Goliath, he didn't even have to go out and fight that fight. He had a choice the whole time. He didn't have to fight that fight. He could have said, well, best of luck to you fellas. I've got sheep to tend back at the house. He could have walked off and said, man, that's a bit of a pickle for you all. Good luck. I'll pray for you. You ever been guilty of doing that? Seeing somebody in a tough spot and all you'll say is, I'll pray for you. Rather than saying, I'll help you. I'll do what I can. And you may say, well, Brother Jeremiah, don't condemn me on that. I'm not. But what I'm saying is if the Holy Spirit bids you to help and bless somebody, then be a help and be a blessing to somebody. Don't hold back on what God would use you to be a blessing to somebody else. When you ask God to sanctify, you know that it comes with that if He sanctified you, He set you aside for a purpose. That's what sanctification is about. Being set aside for God's purpose. That God sets you aside. Have you set yourself aside? Have you said God anywhere, anytime, any place? David fought this fight, won this great battle, and you know that was the beginning of his aggravation. I imagine that there were times David might have been tempted to say, you know, I had it a lot better when I was out on the hillside with him sheep. Because after that he met Saul, Saul made him miserable. Saul. David killed Goliath and, and Saul was supposed to pay him by letting his daughter marry him and, and Saul didn't deliver on the promise. Later on it says that Saul is vexed with an unclean spirit and they needed somebody that could play music. And doggone if it isn't that David kid again. People were running around dancing saying Saul's killed his thousands. David is tending. And while David is rocking out and playing some music to help Saul there, Saul can't stand it anymore. Says he grabs up a nearby javelin and chucks it at David. And it in the wall next to David. David thought, well, maybe, maybe that was an accident. And then another one hits on the other side and David dodges out of the way. And David realizes this ain't an accident. And David has to saturate that place with his absence. And Saul begins to chase him and dog every step that he has. And it's just the beginnings of his misery. 
All because that he found favor in God. Don't you think for a second that if you're really working for the Lord that everything's going to be easy? Or that all the problems are going to roll away? Or that everybody's going to like you? Now David had a faithful 600 men that stayed with him, trusted him. David lived out in the countryside. And all he had ever done was work for the Lord. You know, there's no recording of David really messing up until he's actually on the throne. And then he becomes an adulterer. And then in, to, in order to cover his adultery, he becomes a murderer. And you see, David messed up. You would think that if we read about the boy with the horn of oil poured over his head, that everything would be okay. And sometimes we do get weary in the well-doing. But know this, in the New Testament, Jesus pretty well assures David made it to heaven. And the only reason that David made it to heaven wasn't because of killing Goliath. And it wasn't because of all the mighty feats that he'd done. And time fails me to recount all those, but the reason David made it was because that he looked forward to the day. That song that I sung earlier, it's taken from the 22nd Psalm written by David about God's suffering servant. David saw that day. He believed on it. Did he mess up? Oh, yes. Will you mess up? Oh, yes. Have you messed up? I would go ahead and say, yes, you probably have. You've gone astray. You've messed up somewhere, but that's okay because God is quick to forgive. He's slow to anger. His mercy knows no bounds. Because if it did, then His Son would have looked around at this world and said, they're not worth it. You see, because Jesus was like a precursor to Christ. And it said now that God said, God promised David that the Christ would come from his line and sit on his throne. God established it forever. Let me tell you something Jesus is on the throne right now. Jesus is sitting there on the throne next to the Most High God on his right hand. When I mess up, he advocates for me. When I go astray, he asks God to forgive me. He helps me. His Holy Spirit ministers to me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. You may have some dark days. You may have some difficult times. David, when he wrote those words to the 23rd Psalm, and, and, and hopefully we know them well, or at least recognize them when we hear them, but do we buy in? Do we believe that? Do we trust God in everything? Do we trust Him when we have a choice? That's really the telltale sign. Rather than in your most desperate moment, well, I guess I'll pray. I've tried everything else. Nothing else has helped. I guess I'll pray. And if you're doing that, don't think that that disqualifies you or makes you a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. But I can tell you this. Strive to trust Him first. Put God First, Jesus in all of His ministry, He always put God first. The Apostle Paul said He was a man who was obedient even unto death. You ask yourself, and if you don't look up here and compare yourself to me as far as your Christianity. I'm not, I'm not the standard by which you're judged. If you really want to know where you stand as far as goodness as far as human beings are concerned, compare yourself to Christ. And you'll find that you are a wretched sinner and that you need a Savior. 
And that Savior is Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no other. There's no other way. People love to talk about heaven. They love to talk about those streets of gold, walls of jasper, and gates of pearl and all that. But you don't get heaven without going through Christ. And you know what the most valuable thing in heaven is? It's not the streets of gold. That's pavement. I mean, have any of you ever picked up a chunk of black top and hollered, Eureka! Man, I've got me a lot of money. But now if you picked up a chunk of gold, you'd be pretty excited. And gold pales by comparison to Jesus Christ who has redeemed us, who will be there. And He'll be the light. It won't be the S-U-N. It'll be the S-O-N that lights that city. Church, I tell you today, you need to trust God more today than you did yesterday and more tomorrow than you do today and grow into it. Like a plant reaching for the light. You know, you can take a plant and you can turn it away from the light and you know what it'll start doing? It'll reverse direction and say, I need that light. That light to it is life. And to you, Jesus Christ is the light and the life of men. If you need the altar today, if you need to pray, now would be a good time to come and pray. Because you don't know what's going to happen next. We don't have any guarantee. We don't know where eternity is going to find us at. We can, we can plan to wait to the last minute. And I'll tell you this, I was, I was a uh, procrastinator. A professional procrastinator. A pro-procrastinator, I guess you could say. And I can tell you this, anytime that I procrastinated, I knew when the last minute was. I might put it off till the last minute, but I knew when the last minute was. I've received no revelation from God, though, when my last minute is. And unless that you have, you better not put it off because you don't know. Trust God when you have a choice. Put your faith in Him while you still can. I hope God has blessed you.